Polyhedron is a production of Headcanon Games, LLC. Please bookmark Headcanon Games for the latest in Polyhedron news. Polyhedron is sponsored by listeners like yourself. If you'd like to become a patron of Polyhedron, please go to patreon.com slash polyhedron. Now, on with your show. Welcome to Polyhedron, your multifaceted gaming podcast for everything role-playing related. I've put Matt in a sack, and I've gagged him, and today it will be me. Oh, yes, shit, he's Matt. getting out. All right, all right. It's all right. Shh, shh. Only dreams now. <laughs> today is going to be a little bit different format-wise. We, we like to try to change things up here. Uh, today we're going to be talking to the uh, Headcanon Games guys, which, well, okay, so two of them are people you hear all the all the damn time, but hello. <laughs> There's someone here who's extra special, and his name is Nigel, and he is one of the uh, other developers from Headcanon. And uh, how's it going, Nigel? It's going great. You can't see it, but I'm smiling. Oh, uh, well, you know. Uh, why don't you start out by telling us a little bit about yourself? Like, your, uh, we, we, in the very first episode, we kind of talked about our history with gaming and tabletop role-playing, and I know you have an extensive one, but, like, just give us a, the briefest of rundowns, I suppose. Okay. Uh, my name is Nigel Arir. Um, I am 33 years old. The heavens announce him. Yeah, for anyone who doesn't understand, it's uh, raining and thundering outside. So if you hear the rumblings of the thunder, we'll try to get rid of it as much as we can, but Thoris, not, just <laughs> live with it. Um, so, yes, sorry. Uh, my name is Nigel O'Rear. I'm 33. Uh, I'm from L.A. I've lived in uh, Georgia for most of my life. Um, but uh, everybody who's ever lived or b- was born in California especially, like, that's where you're from, man. It, it sticks with you. Um, I'm told. But, uh, no, I uh, got introduced to um, tabletop role-playing games kind of slow. Uh, when I was a kid, maybe 10 years old, um, my grandmother got me a graphic novel, Snarf Quest, written and drawn by Larry Elmore. It was just a, literally a collection of all the comics he'd ever done of Snarf Quest, which is this great little three-page comic at the end of every Dragon magazine for, like, the 70s or 80s. Um, and in the very back of that graphic novel were D&D stats, and I had no idea what these were. It's like weird numbers and letters. It was like something out of another world. I went, huh, that's weird. Uh, fast forward to like freshman year of high school, I made a friend like my first day, like the skinny nerd kid sitting at the at the lunch table who was like reading The Complete Guide to Elves. And I'm all like, I don't know what that is, but it looks cool. I'm going to make a friend. So I sat down and started talking to them. He and I are still friends to this day. And he introduced me to uh, to uh, Advanced Dungeons & Dragons. This is before 3rd Edition came out. Oh, I, I, by, by the time that this episode airs, I'm, I'm sure our audience is going to be well aware of our feelings <laughs> and thoughts on Advanced Dungeons & Dragons. <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, it's been sort of a whirlwind romance ever since. Um, I played... Tons of systems. I've read even more. Uh, I've designed a few, but nothing ever with the level of, of craziness and endeavor that Headcanon and Subnet have been. So this is really a, kind of a big adventure. It's the realization of a lifelong dream. So Awesome. Yeah. So that uh, leads us right into it. Today we're going to talk about Headcanon, and we're going to talk about their game, Subnet, which is... Um, 
just give a general thematic. It's it's sort of a post, not post-apocalypse, but dystopian, highly dystopian MMORPG, sort of you know shadow runny, but very very setting heavy and like a lot of interesting setting elements. Uh, but I'm gonna I'll let I'll let Matt and uh, Scott and Nigel like give a more like detailed explanation of what what the world is. So let's start with Scott. What well, you... I mean, uh, before we get into that, I think uh, a basic rundown of like how we started doing mm-hmm. this might mm-hmm. be valuable. So a couple of years ago, uh, Nigel, Matt, and myself, we sat down and we decided we really wanted to make a game together. Um, we we came to the philosophy of of no one coming to the table with a baby. Uh, I like an idea that we were really into that we were gonna have you know ownership issues and and like possessiveness issues. So we decided to come up with something collaboratively, um, you know, just bouncing ideas off each other so that whatever came out of that process wasn't any one of us but ours, if that makes sense. Uh, and what resulted uh, in that was Subnet. And just to be clear, you guys have been gaming together for oh, a oh, really damn long Real, time. real long time. Over a yeah. decade, I would say. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so what came of that was Subnet and uh, Nigel? You wanted to have some uh, words about that. Yeah, well, sort of a preamble to, to that, a little history before that. Uh, the three of us um, originally started working with a good friend of ours. Um, and as a note, uh, she has recently begun the process of transitioning. So if we use the, the wrong name or if we use the wrong pronoun, Dolores, we do apologize. Um, but uh, she had a, a sort of a system and a setting that she'd been working on for a long time. Um, she is another person that we've known for a very long time and gamed with for a very long time. And it was sci-fi, and it was all about this big space opera kind of thing. It was cool. But like Scott mentioned, there were some tensions with everything that had already been put into it in terms of Dolores's brain power. And we felt that the three of us had very little that we could genuinely contribute to. Not that we held, like, any ill will towards Dolores at all. You know, look, it's her project, her baby, she's awesome, and, you know, uh, we, we've we worked with her. Yeah, to each their own, as they yeah, were. totally. So at the end of that, when, when it sort of fizzled, the three of us, uh, myself, Matt, and Scott, um, you know, we, we, we gave it a thought. It's like, well, why don't we all came with a few seed ideas, but nothing that was like, here's this thing I've been working on for three years, let's develop it into a project. Uh, Matt? I actually remember specifically um, the day, uh, not the date, but I remember seeing them three coming over to my apartment and me pitching with them the idea of going, guys, I want to make a game together. Mm-hmm. And we sort of went from there. Um, yeah, Dolores came in. Um, then we sort of, when that all that sort of fell apart, we put ourselves back together and we said, this is how we wanted to do it. We got all the paperwork signed. We got everything incorporated and made ourselves an LLC and then we started building from there which it's three three about, yeah about three and a half years from that point and we're very very close so what are we doing the entire episode on how to just turn your company into an LLC because they're magic like that's yeah. really like I think one thing that I can take away from it is if, if you want to start a gaming company or do anything professional with gaming yourself get yourself an LLC kids yep awesome. uh, get a lawyer yeah. that's all you really need get a, get a lawyer, lawyer. He'll probably won't charge you too much, and he'll do the paperwork for you. Yeah, but uh, anyway, that's uh, sort of the the preamble. Um, so the setting of Subnet, um, 
it's uh, it's uh, like Ryan said, it's dystopian. It is actually post-apocalyptic. It, there, it is. The there, end there, there sort was, of has come and gone. There, there was a real bad apocalypse. Um, you know, we're we're still struggling with terminology as to what to refer to it, just because. Uh, but basically, it's the notion of the singularity, uh, something that uh, a man by the name of Ray Kurzweil has kind of uh, pioneered and 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 put forth the idea that you know human technology will reach a certain point where it's so advanced and it changes so quickly that we standing on one side of the singularity can't really predict or tell what the other side of that singularity is going to look like or be like or mean for humanity as a species. So yeah, that's that's the sort of the idea that that we roundabout now in sort of like the timeline of of the game roundabout the early 2000s uh the singularity happened. Um and it was bad. Uh, it we we fucked it up uh, as a species, and we let all of our hatreds and tribalism uh, and short-sightedness get the better of us, and the world kind of fell apart. Um, because of also rampant uh, technology, just yeah. technology unhinged and unbroken in any sort of like constraint. Yeah, you know, the angels of our worst nature got the better of us, and we we didn't control our technology, and we used it for inappropriate and irresponsible means. Uh, and a great majority of the species died as a result. The planet has been irrevocably harmed and changed. It's you know there's there's no no blue skies uh, sunshine, um, and you know the the remnants of humanity were ushered into uh, bunkers of one stripe or another. Uh, you know kind of like Fallout, um, uh, with the idea of like we have to preserve humanity as a species. We have to to hold on to something, uh, and spans of time went went hap- happened. Uh, these cultures developed within the bunkers. Um, eventually, uh, progress was made. There was ways to get back out of the bunkers and start building within the bunkers. Uh, and sort of the new face of things emerged, uh, and the, the sort of the power structures behind the bunkers uh, became the new powers, the new superpowers in the world. And we refer to them as hypercorps, uh, because as Ryan mentioned, it is kind of shadow runny. Uh, and so it, it's essentially a corporate oligarchy uh, that are in control of this handful of uh, environmentally sealed arcologies where 90-ish percent of the human race lives in. I mean, yeah. once you start using the word arcology to refer to the place you live, it's, well, you've just yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. There you yeah. go. Yeah, so it's 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 pretty damn futuristic. It's pretty damn sci-fi. Uh, there are some humans that live outside the arcologies, but they live in mutant redneck hellholes. Yeah, they're um, called. It's all called the quiet because outside of the arcologies, basically, there's no real technology. There's no real communication. AKA, there is no what we would consider the internet. And there's no yeah. It, so and that that is a big thing. One of the biggest things that's survived the singularity. Uh, was you know, hyper advanced internet technology, um, and uh, very sort of, internet of things. Oh yes, very much the internet of things. Uh, yeah, everything's connected to it, um, and, and literally everything. It's yeah. not just everyone has a computer or there is a computer in every home. Um, like every appliance in your home, your home itself, everything has some sort of inbuilt like chip or series of, of, of chips that gives it the ability to connect to uh, the, the the network of information that exists. 
and allows for distributed processing power and like unparalleled communication between all of the devices that you live with today. But bringing on a, a, to the important point, like to add to that, the people are in that too. Yes, oh, they yeah, are. Very much people so. have hardware installed in yeah. them, and yes. and that's that is the yeah. common thing. Like that's, that's, that's that is part works. of that's part of you know you you are. Uh... Uh, let's see. What are the, I recently wrote something about like people being born and getting this technology implanted on it. It's the idea of like you know when you when you have your mandatory medical scan that reveals you to be pregnant, uh, you are directed to consent to a to a nanotechnological uh, uh, prenatal intervention, <laughs> um, which essentially in, nano in in vitro in in utero uh, implants nano machines in your nervous system. That sort of form the baseline for your connection. Yeah, they to grow this, with you to this network. Um, and one of the big reasons why this is, you know, a thing that happens to pretty much everyone um, is that while in the bunkers, these these powers that be, the hypercorps, learned that almost basically out of necessity uh, that the human race needed to be controlled um, through source, social engineering uh, to the extreme. Uh, because there were so very few left of them, the, the situation was so very dire, um, uh, and they really they, they, they were very forward-thinking, but also very self-serving. Uh, the Hypercorps are unmistakably evil in our game, uh, but they're an evil that you can understand. Mm. Reading the descriptions of them, you, you, you catch the whiff. It's, yeah, yeah. It, it's pretty clear that these are just some some demonic assholes that, you know, want to rule everybody. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But they, they started with the best of intentions um, because humanity was on dire straits. They were, we, we, we have been on the edge of, humanity had been on the edge of, of total extinction and still kind of is. Um, and one of the big social engineering things that, you know, kind of got universally applied was the idea that violence, uh, physical violence, was just utterly taboo. Uh, it is not something that's acceptable just because there, there's so few humans left and there's so, such a fragile system that keeps everyone in place that if any sort of wide-scale violence were to erupt within an arcology, uh, it would lead to the collapse of that arcology very, very quickly. Right. The, humanity has gotten to, to such a low point that there is actually a very great risk of genetic bottlenecking, which if after a certain time a species goes extinct enough or their numbers are diminished to the point that if they even try to reproduce, there won't be enough genetic diversity that if something like one disease, one catastrophe of a specific type happens, it will wipe out the entire species and they will go completely so, so extinct. It, we drop below the speciation point and mm -hmm. they are, and basically these hypercorps are the only things that kept us from basically devolving into a bunch of, you know, murderous monsters that, and, mm -hmm. you know, ending ourselves. Unfortunately, you know, human nature as it is, you know, even that, even though that may have been a necessity at one point and is still somewhat a necessity in the current setting, um, you know, you hand that kind of power to someone and, or a group of someone's and A, they're not going to let that power go and B, it's going to curdle, it's going to go bad, it's going to lead, it's going to go from the necessary evil to the, eh, evil. To, um, yeah, this is what we do every day because this is how we've always done it. And mm -hmm. there's no reason to change and it. And there's no reason to change it because it works. Right. Um, mm -hmm. And so uh, something that is very important to the setting that all of this leads up to into the modern setting is something called the game, mm -hmm. which is really what we talk about when everything is interconnected. 
that is what we're talking about. It is called the game because everyone is a part of the game and everyone plays the game on whatever level that they're able to. They play this game. Yeah, it's a it's a pre it's a singularity uh, era technology that has been scavenged um, and then kind of got into everything. Like they couldn't. The hypercorps booted up a couple of these servers and then started finding the game on other servers uh, that they hadn't installed it on. Um, so they, they they did the calculus of, well, we can try and put this genie back in the bottle. Or, yeah, they just kept going with it. Or we can harness it for our own ends. For our own purposes. So the game is... Man. <clears throat> so the long and the short of it is the game... Uh, is this it's the it's the most f- fun MMO you will ever play it has literally something for everyone imagine a game that is so rich and so complex and so diverse in terms of game mechanics and stats and level design that literally anyone alive today from the factory worker in China to the farmer in you know Sub-Saharan Africa, to the European banker, to the Midwest farmer, uh, or, or the South American, you know, mountain climber, you can find something that is fun, that will keep you engaged for as long as you want to look at the screen. That's how big and interesting and cool and expansive this thing is. So the fascinating thing about that description and is that, I mean, I've known about subnet for a very long time i've i've been around with you guys since you know the the project came up so when ready player one happened (laughs) and and i read that book and i was just like i knew for a fact you guys like came up with this idea well before it but the the parallel was so strong that but i i just feel like this was sort of a this is a zeitgeist thing because we just all looked around us and just saw the way things were going and it's like while he wrote a very nice book about it, I personally feel that making a tabletop game about it is way cooler because, you know, <laughs> that way that way everyone gets to be I mean, a Yeah, exactly. Sue. Everyone gets to be a part of that story. And Mary Sue. That's I mean, the it, important yeah, part. Yeah, I mean, if, if, I didn't, if I didn't have to find and then kill the person who made a Ready Player One game just because I, that would be too much, like we couldn't compete with that, I'd really like to play a Ready Player One game. I mean... Uh, so we're making Subnet, so that's the thing. You could call, uh, the, you could call the publisher. It's like, uh, would you like a mechanics to go with your books? <laughs> uh, let's, let's, let's get it out the door and we'll see. Yeah, uh, table that for now. Yeah, but anyway, um, one, of the, the biggest, one of the biggest reasons why the Hypercorps put so much into the game is it is a magnificent engine for social engineering. Um, well, it's it, it is. It's really just a an interaction platform that a lot of other systems have been sort of bolted onto. So, like literally, the the, the best way to 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 explain its systems are are using sort of analogies of what we have today. So imagine like World of Warcraft, but also Second Life, but also the Metaverse, but also IMU and every casual Facebook game ever, and like how I read this awesome article just the other day in a series of comments that went with it about mobile games and how people are like, especially RPGs, people are like, I fucking hate RPGs on mobile games because on the on the one hand, the ones that exist are beautiful and they're well crafted, but they are awful because they are so well crafted 
to incentivize you to spend money in the form of microtransactions that the platform has just been squandered for the game genre of role-playing games. And just the amount of money and effort that go into the design of casual games, of microtransaction-based games, is staggering. Imagine, instead of just like a five- or a ten-man team in some, you know, small, um, like, design house. Imagine if you had an entire wing, thousands of people, devoted, like, with, like, degrees in economics and society, uh, like... Uh, like um, social engineering. So, so, well, like, the social sciences. Mm -hmm. Like, um, anthropology and... Um, psychology. So what, psychology. So what if microtransactions became their own discipline, essentially? Exactly. Yeah. And that's and, kind of what's happened. Right. Yeah. That's kind it's of the actually, economy of the world, well, too. that's kind of also real life right now in terms of mobile gaming, yeah, unfortunately. Uh, one, one thing sci-fi always does is it looks to the future to, to make a comment about the present. Yeah. Uh, and we're very much doing that. I mean, we're doing that about a lot of things, as mm -hmm. we'll get into. And, I mean, yeah, just as an aside, I mean, today, and as far as, like, game, mobile game development goes, like, you just have to be, a, you'd have to be a crazy person not to include microtransactions because it's just, it, it's lucrative beyond re reasonability, like, to just not do it. It's, mm -hmm. And it's actually a very bold game that actually tries to remove that oh. from it. Um, I, granted, this is not exactly uh, on point, but Overwatch, the very new Blizzard FPS multiplayer that's coming out, specifically, it's a one-and-done game. You buy the buy the game, and you continue playing. There are no... For now. Uh, for, yeah, that's the question. Well, Blizzard for now, expansions. But, yeah. yeah. Uh, but anyway... But they um, don't need your microtransactions. They just <laughs> buy the game when it comes out and yeah. pay them the money for it. Yeah, the... Um, but yeah, that, that's, that's... So we have the setting where the majority of humanity is sort of under the yoke of these hypercorps and the game that they play. To the it's, point of corporate citizenship. Yeah, like yeah, is... exactly. There's no nations anymore. Um, there, there is your, you are a, when you become of the age of majority, you are, you select the hypercorp that you wish to become an employee of, uh, and you essentially become a, a wholly owned citizen of that hypercorp. You do your job and it, it there, there's a, there's a, it's a very coercive, very, manipulative relationship, but it's really the only game in town, so there's no real way out of it. Um, so you have this humanity under the yoke of the Hypercorps and this game, uh, which has consumed all media, is all media, you know, it's consumed religion, sports, um, and is sort of the only out acceptable outlet for, you know, aggression mm -hmm. in the society, which you can't get rid of that. Uh, no matter how uh, no matter how much you want to, you can't get rid of it, rid of it so it's channeled into the game. Um, you know, war is done through the game. Um, sports are, done, sports through are game. done through the game. Religion is done through the game. TV is all game, interactive, game-based. Um, so why have a war when you can just watch football. That's right. Or or participate. Why yes. why 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 have a war when you can just play? You know, Call of Duty essentially. Um, but so the hypercorps pretty much have humanity buttoned up. However. Mm -hmm. um, this is where subnet comes this in. Is where the, this is where the subnet come in. Um, the, the term subnet, uh, if you're if you're any a computer person, you recognize the term subnet. It's a networking term, um, but we use it to refer to essentially as uh, everything in the game uh, that the hypercorps don't want you to go where the places you don't have access to. In other words, you have to hack your way in to get into the subnet um, because this, the game just isn't the game. It is all computers. 
the game is every computer system. It's every network. Um, it, it's where all of all all computing takes place is through the game. Um, so you have a band, uh, a couple bands of of rebels, essentially people who are a part of this society, who see what the hypercorps are doing, see and are not happy about it. Uh, yep. They 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 do not want to do this uh, because they not only are seeing what's happening in the present, um, they are seeing that the the winds of a new singularity are beginning to blow, uh, and it is happening it's happening soon and if things keep going the way they're going then we're going to have another really bad really destructive and basically the end of humanity as we see fit see it is going to happen um and this sort of gets into some interesting bits of philosophy both uh, outside of the realm of game design but also within sort of the the game that we are designing um the like Scott mentioned, this this is a science fiction game. Uh, we're sort of doing like one of the best phrases that I've ever heard in terms of how how good sci-fi works is from uh, the Max Headroom show. Hmm. It's set 20 minutes into the future, um, and that was that was sort of their their design byline and building that world, which was awesome. And if if any of you have not seen it. Like find it. Go go watch Max Headroom. You'll be surprised it was ever allowed to air. Oh, yeah. like, it, it was made in like the early '90s, late '80s, early '90s. It is the most genuinely capital C cyberpunk thing I think I've ever seen. Yep. Like on par with Blade Runner. Oh yeah. Um, it was a TV show. Yes, Max Headroom was that wacky thing that was in the '80s that sold Pepsi. That sold Pepsi. Deal with it. Watch the show and just be amazed at what what people were doing with it. What the message actually was yeah. from it. Um, and, and see how amazingly relevant the messages that they were trying to explore, the ideas that they were exploring in the early 90s are today. Oh, it's prescient. Oh, extremely. But anyway, um, what sort of, again, trying to tap into what we see, we the designers see, as what's happening now and 20 minutes into the future, um, all of the computational assets that exist in uh, the game of Subnet, in, in the role-playing game, in the setting, are based on quantum computation that utilize the uncertainty of quantum spin, the reactivity, the connectivity of spooky action at a distance, all that good stuff. The ability to literally calculate all possible states and simply produce the correct one by quantum waveform collapse and a bunch of other things that tunneling, I am tunneling, tunneling, tunneling the things that I am not nearly smart enough mm-hmm. in, in the real world to, to, to yeah. explain. But it sounds Marcus, so cool. Marcus's law going every which direction, you know, just, just yeah. you know, everything going crazy. Um, but c- quantum computation left the lab and simply became the, the means by which computation was achieved this is one of the things that led up to the, 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 con- the conflict of the singularity and that technology has persisted. And within that space that is governed by that, you begin to have interesting effects. You begin to see things that happen 
that are outside of what is normally possible within what we in the real world consider a game. In a video game, you have rules. Even if you have something that's procedurally generated, there is theoretically a finite amount of stuff that can be generated. Like, No Man's Sky has something like 18 trillion planets that you can explore. But one day, a thousand years from now, there's going to be one guy on whatever the thousand-year-plus version of YouTube is who reaches that last planet. It's finite. Um, but when you start dealing with things like uncertainty and tunneling and all this other crazy stuff, we've used that as the narrative vehicle for genuinely weird, unusual, potentially supernatural stuff. And that's and that's kind of where our heroes sort of oh, yes, start exactly. Up, is that these sort of and, and this I'm you know this is coming from me only reading it as much as I've been able to is that the the game itself has what some might consider a will of its own, and 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 that certain people who are meant to be where they're meant to be end up where they're supposed to be that to become a subnetter like there's usually some experience that goes along with that. That's sort of a revelation or an epiphany mm -hmm. that sort of takes you there. So to get back into what, what a subnet is, because we're talking about some highfalutin like design space oh, yeah. stuff here. A subnet is a person. Who, subnetter. A subnetter specifically is someone who, through hook and by crook, ha has in naturally more resistant to social engineering and social poking and prodding from their fellows and from the hypercorps to the point that they have garnered enough attention from other subnetters to go, this person can become a subnetter. And when that happens, and if they are considered to become one, a process is done to the person both in the game in a digital fashion and in a physical uh, manipulation of their hardware that where they get something called the grail. And the grail is what allows a subnetter to do stuff that normal gamers, normal people, cannot do within the game. After they, they perform, start to perform quantum hacking. Yes, uh, yes basically they do. doing essentially within the within the the set rules of the game, doing magic, essentially doing things that the game is as not... a function of their will. Yeah, uh, yeah. So hackers, subnetters, really um, have this override they get new hardware installed in their um, brains in in their brains you have to go to a back alley surgeon very 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 william gibson cyberpunk yeah the uh, one of my favorite parts in elysium which was i i have not a, a bad not a bad, not movie. A bad movie i hold a, i hold a special place in my heart i love the chop shop oh, scene yeah. of that where they're just like kind of cutting them up in pieces and shoving crap into his brain, and it's like, ah, it'll work, and they're like passing the little joint back and forth. Mm -hmm, yep. Just, I loved that scene. It was awesome. That movie had some amazing practical effects. Oh, it did. Um, but any, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Anyway, sorry. I, I am the tangent master. Mm -hmm. um, you undergo this, this surgery in the real world. Your firmware and software is sort of overwritten, hacked by way of this quantum artifact, quantum digital artifact, known as the Grail in the sort of in-game world ritual, and you begin to essentially overrule the boundaries put on you by the game and by the hypercorps. So stats in the game kind of cease to matter 
to you. Like, in in sort of the same way that in the real world, in, in what we all encounter whenever we sit down and play a video game, if there's a hacker using a cheat, like an aimbot or something, like, any normal game is pretty easy for them to play. But the point of becoming a subnetter is not to get good at the game. That's that's immaterial at this point. That's not what it's about. There are some who, who squander that potential, who make it past the filters and, and say, no, you know what, I'm just going to be king of, 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 of the hill. But they are very quickly dealt with by the hypercorps, Scott. We uh, we have a, we have a, a sort of a, a game a suggested game mode uh, for that style of play. If you if you just want to screw around and be be you know a belly badass, we call it the hookers and blow mode. Yeah. Uh, where it's like because while you are you know brought into this fraternity of of subnetters, um, they put a high high premium on personal freedom and individual individuality. So you know you you are expected and you are sort of incentivized to join the cause. Uh, but you're also incentivized to get money, to live the mercenary life, um, to and and it's all it's all open to you. You can live your life the way you see fit. It's just a matter of you know repaying your debts and make get, getting good with the world uh, because you know the doors are open for you. And well, you don't have much time. That's that's another big thing. Is we'll talk about that after yeah. we get down to the brass tacks because a system stands or falls on its core mechanics and i think we i think the listeners have a very very good idea of what this setting looks like now so let's start talking about one oh one sorry for interrupting i want to make one comment about actually the setting before we hop over to mechanics i think is important um as a submitter as scott may have alluded to is that uh the grouping of subnetters, they're not their job, but a lot of them take up the cause against the hypercorps. This is very much rebellion against the man sort of scenario. Oh yeah. Uh, they want humanity back so humanity can be humanity, but the hypercorps don't want subnetters to do what they're doing because that disrupts their control. And then it also asks the question of if you have as a subnetter, if you have this power to free humanity, yeah, that's a good thing. But what happens after that? What do you do? How do you lead them? What do you? What are the? What are the answers to the questions that everyone's yeah, going to have? Yeah, the world's still shit. Yep. The world's still shit. What's Zion going to do with all these extra people? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, oh yeah, the Matrix is a huge inspiration. For, if anybody can't tell, it, it is. Like we we draw inspiration from a lot of different cyberpunk uh, and post-apocalyptic media that has like just bombarded pop culture for the past like twenty thirty oh, yeah. years. But yeah, the. The sort of the culmination of, of the setting is you have this post-apocalyptic environment, you have these arcologies ruled by giant hypercorporations, you have humanity, like the remnants of humanity, enslaved to this exquisitely social engineered video game that literally everybody plays like something along the lines of 16 hours a day. You have some people who, through means and mechanisms, are able to resist that social engineering who essentially free themselves and undergo uh, like hardware and software upgrades to allow them to work quantum miracles within the game. Mm-hmm. We're not talking about people who can throw fireballs in the quote-unquote real world. Man, and, what a, a game where you have quantum powers? What? <laughs> I really like Aberrant. I really like Aberrant. Uh, but, and we all know, the, 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 the subnetters know that there is a new singularity coming. And the hypercorps also know this because they have submitters of their own. You do not build a 
a means of surviving the apocalypse through social engineering without laying out a few really good traps for these young upstarts who think they know they're doing everything. So you snag a couple, if you're a hypercorp, you snag yourself a couple of uh, subnetters, take them apart, find out what makes them tick, build your own, or hire your own because they are mercenaries, or make your own. So the struggle, the sort of narrative backdrop is that there are the hypercorps that each have their own philosophy and outlook and they are jockeying for position amongst one another to essentially be in control when the singularity comes the idea being that their philosophy will be whatever the singularity imprints on and all of humanity will be ruled by that by that rubric. So whatever comes out the other side will be the model of what they believe humanity should look like. Mm -hmm. Exactly. From like a completely holistic, comprehensive whole. What does an individual human look like, behave like, what's their genetic structure, but also what kind of society do we live in? What are our values? What do we love? What do we hate? What do we worship? What do we, you know, consider taboo? And on the other side, you have the subnetters, a vastly smaller number of people compared to even the tiniest hypercorp that have these fantastic abilities but an extraordinarily limited amount of time to make an impact on the world and you know all the while struggling with philosophies of freedom what do you do when you are a prisoner who is freed very you know plato's allegory of the cave you know uh, you have seen the light when you go back in it's hard to get the people to come out with you can you even lead? Is that within your right or power? Are you no better than the bad guys? So that's sort of the the, the penultimate conflict that is the narrative backdrop. That, that's the gas. Setting. That's the gas we're cooking with. Or yeah. or hookers and blow. Or, or hookers, hookers and blow. blow. Yeah. If you really need to turn this into fourth edition, <laughs> you can. You can. Oh, I actually adore the hookers and blow like scenario for this but, one thing. Real quick, hookers said with only the greatest of respect. Yes. For oh, yeah. all sex Absolutely. workers, they can be any gender of hooker. Yeah. We're not. We're yeah. not even like Men, that here. Women, whatever, sex workers, it's your body. Do whatever you want with it. But the reason I like that scenario so much is one of the things that is, is for the admin, what we call the GM, the game master, is the idea at the end is, okay, yeah, they can run around, do whatever they want. Yeah, uh, hookers and blow tend to have very bad consequences for people in the long run. It, it, you can't run ride that ride all day, every day. Clock's still ticking. Yes, yeah, it clock's is. still ticking. And there are consequences for actions, and that's why I like and, that and scenario. You, Ryan, you mentioned that it's it's uh, something to talk about in the mechanics, and it certainly is, but it is a selling it, setting element. The the machinery in a subnetter's head, um, it doesn't last forever, not because it like wears down, but because technology is moving at such a breakneck pace. Mm -hmm. Um, and it is... Well, it's not constructed with nanomachines. Yeah, it's made exactly. by people. It's made by people. So it's sort of more frozen in time yeah, than, say... It, it ha it ha and it has, to, it has to abide by the, the very static nature of human biology and human anatomy. Yeah, human, the human biology actually fails the machinery just as much as the machinery fails the human yeah, it, in this instance. Parts of your brain stop working after a period of time. Yeah, and so you you basically have a very limited handful of years, uh, maybe about a decade um, of time, in which to do your quantum miracles and you know and make a difference either for for you know the good of humanity or the good of you and your bros, 
uh, or hookers and blow. Um, but so yeah, you, you're on a clock and you, you have very limited time in which to, you know, achieve the mission, whatever that mission may be, um, before you cycle out, before you become obsolete and you just be, kind of co- go back to being a normal jack off, uh, a normal jack off who has uh, hopefully amassed gaggles of wealth and influence and is in a good position to if retire not, if retire and if not you know continue the fight support those who have been who you have brought into the subnet and put on their path mm-hmm. which Men- is mentorship is a is a major theme like who mm-hmm. who jumped you in like mm-hmm. is, is actually a major part of this and i, I think that's a discussion for a little bit later as is how you yeah. guys handled aging within oh, yeah. the system because this is one of the few we all remember Dungeons and Dragons third edition it's like well yeah you can do aging but why would you oh like, yeah like, no you're 20 years old and a superhero forever in Dungeons and Dragons uh, but in this system aging has its consequences and its upsides like there are upsides to being older that's more than just like a simple plus one here or there but uh, I think to make that all make sense in context we should basically we should talk about how things get done in subnet. Yes. Sure. So why don't you run down with the base dice mechanic? Like what what dices be you rolling? Um, uh, I really want Matt to, to tackle most of this because he is the rules meister. I, I need to figure yeah. out what that actually is in German. Well, we just we um just to sort of sort of uh, clarify that statement. Uh, Headcanon operates on the idea that. Like I, like we mentioned, this is our project. We 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 all come up with this stuff together. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, you noticed I talked a lot about the setting because it's sort of my job to be to take to take the the spearhead on articulating the setting that the three of us have come to get come up together. In the same vein, Matthew's job is to articulate the mechanical system that the three of us have developed together. And Nigel is just silky. I'm just. <laughs> and also, Nigel. Nigel is a is a wonderful idea man. Uh, he's very good to bounce off of. Uh, he's sort of also taking the lead on our art direction. Sort of the the the, the further down the road when the we appearance have, of the game. The appearance of the game. Never uh, discount the ability to yes and. It's, oh yeah. It's oh, yeah. probably one of the most important things that a human being can know how to do. Uh, and he also very rarely helps mitigate when me and Scott have an issue like we are not seeing eye to eye on something, which will happen. I don't care who you are, what project you're working on, you're not going to see eye to eye with everyone. Yeah, and, I mean, listeners of the podcast may may detect a slight uh, rivalry between Matthew and myself. It's all friendly, it's all in, in good fun. Uh, but you know, he just time. he just has a face. Yeah, he doesn't he, like my you, face. You can't oh, see it. Man. He just got a face. You should see Scott's nose. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> you just, I mean, listen, I'm just, I'm not saying your face is hittable, Matt, but. <laughs> Sometimes, never mind. But let's get back to on the topic. Uh, but, but dice. Uh, but yeah, the the rule system has undergone, uh, I'd rather I'd say a rather considerable amount of, of revision. As We're someone, on current revision five right now. As someone who has seen versions two and three of it, I would say that I walked into reading version five with a little trepidation because <laughs> of some of the difficulties that we I experienced playtesting the original, but was very pleasantly surprised with the revisions that you guys made because. Certain things that uh, we're, we're we're holding we're holding the system back in a number of ways have been removed. And I'm gonna preface this before I talk about this, as it has already gone and gone revisions. It's still going to go through revisions before mm-hmm. it, this game becomes public. So oh, anything yeah. I say right here is not <laughs> canon. Oh, yeah. Yes, Ma- Matthew's Matthew's been doing a lot of lot of work on on version five. 
but it still has to to meet the trial by fire of a of a mm-hmm. meeting or two with the three of us really digging our claws. Uh, I'm almost it. done with it, completely done with it, and then once they go over it, we'll start play testing, and then that will tell me exactly if we are where we need to be. Uh, yeah. So uh, if you are from the future, and if you're listening to this podcast, trying to justify your use of outdated rules uh, to power game around what your admin says you can or cannot do. Sorry, it's not cool. Yeah, so. the, the written text is what's going to matter if yes. you are, in fact, from the future. Why are you from the future? God damn it, John Connor. Hey, hello, future people. Hello, I'm future my people. Hand right now. Um, but we are giant nerds, and we decided to use eight-sided dice for our uh, dice. That's what the game uses That's exclusively. So weird, right? Yeah, it's it's weird and, and unique and unusual just because it's binary. Uh, that is a number of faces. Like the the dice that you can readily access at any gaming store, you have four, six, eight, ten, twelve, and twenty. D fours would have been a very weird choice. Yeah, fours are like and they hurt when you step on and, them. And yeah. eight is also a very useful number in com- in, in computing. Yeah, I mean, it is. It is. We, what a bite is. Yes, but eight is. Yeah, that's why we use D8s. Um, previous, use, previous versions of the system uh, had more binary in it than uh, the current ones, which I rather liked, but that's neither here nor there. We <laughs> 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 compromise, Scott. We compromise. Yep. We'll but you guys wanted to know more about how the mechanics work. Yes. And, right. Uh, okay, so, so let's just talk about, like, I am a person who wishes to do a thing. How do I go about doing that thing? How do I hack through like the firewall that's in my way? How do I stomp like the eighty-five orcs that the hypercorp has decided to raise in front of me and just drop them? Like, are those the same? Are those equivalent tasks in that you have to roll the same pool of dice, or is that something that you're going to have to sort of like? Are there subsystems for combat via hacking? So let's start there. Your answer to that question is yes. Uh, in Subnet, as we've already explained, you get older um, and you age. And to represent that, you are on something called a curve. And the curve dictates how many dice you roll, how many D8s. It starts at eight dice. Uh, you're ahead of the curve. You are a brand new Subnetter. You're ready to rock and roll. And if said head of the curve Subnetter is trying to go past a firewall or kill a whole bunch of orcs at the same time, they can do that. That's something we call a challenge. Uh, and all the challenge is is... You roll a number of dice to determine uh, how many successes you can get off of it. The success, and this is where the unique part comes in, is no one face inherently is a success or failure on the die. What determines what numbers are successes or failures is something that the admin rolls for the challenge. So let's say he wants to get past this firewall, and it's a difficulty three firewall. He would roll three dice, and he would pick those three dice, whatever faces, a one, a four, an eight, whatever digits come up, that those are the numbers the subnetter needs to match with their own dice roll. And by doing that, and then he has to assign those dice. Now his traits, the actual like dots on a page for a game, for a character, determines how many dice at any given action you can assign towards overcoming this firewall or killing that group of orcs. So really the, the like, the, I know you mentioned aging affects your dice pool, so I'm assuming it means it goes down. Yes. Oh, yeah. Um, but I'm sure as a function of becoming a older subnetter, you become better at the things you're good at. 
So at this point, your your real hard limitation is going to be how many matches you can make, and that's that's how you guys will sort of scale around it. Yes, that's exactly correct. Yeah, um, yeah, your 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 curve your your curve changes, and you get worse in certain ways. Um, and we we actually tie this directly to XP. Uh, you hit a certain threshold of XP, uh, and you congratulations, you're older now. You you you're out, your machinery doesn't interact with the game as efficiently as it used to, and so that gets affected, that affects your character sheet, and that affects your ability to do things. But you've also been earning XP, which means you can spend it on skills, on powers, on abilities, and things that, while your base pool gets gets uh, lower, you have more tricks up your sleeve to compensate for that. Still means that you're going to be not as hot shit as the young guy in, like, raw power, but you have more finesse and you have more versatility under your belt. And that stuff. Yeah, and eventually, like, there are essentially three levels of uh, of efficacy when it comes to a subnetter. You can continue to play beyond those three levels of degradation, but you are getting into territory where your dice pool is minuscule. So good luck trying to, you know, run with all the hot young young hotshots when you're rolling two dice to try and match four or five numbers. At that point, you're just taking, you're, you're slowing everyone down, so maybe right. it's time that you take a backseat, Grandpa. Sure. Like, but you can use all of your awesome retirement funds to build your own little personal domain, and within that domain, well, it's using old uh, software, isn't it? So, so you're, you're, on, you're on point there. You're, like, you, you, are your, you are a god in your own tiny little realm. And part of and part of character create part of your character and things that you can spend XP on is you can hold on to certain levels of power in narrower and narrower fields, mm-hmm. uh, such that you are you might not be Johnny on the spot for every trick on the book, but for one or one or two things that you have hold on held on to that you have specifically upgraded what you can in your own head and through your own like digital digital neuromancy. You're the big gun. You like like the the kids might you know laugh because you know you're still using DOS, uh, but when it comes time to blow a hole in something uh, that just requires you know a bi- a big you know blast of digital energy, and you're the big digital energy guy, you're the guy they want because that you can do it better than them. Let, let's talk a little bit about because we've talked we kind of may have jumped a little bit ahead of something that might need to be put in context. You talked about traits and I'm, so. How many traits are there? Do they fuel literally everything? Like, or, or are there skills that are separate? I mean, a lot of people come from different backgrounds of gaming, so how streamlined is this? It's extremely streamlined. Uh, we, have, we have two separations in traits. One is called analog, one's called digital. Analog is your real-world traits. It's your physical subnetters in the real-world ability. We have meat, which is your physicality, you have manners, which is your social ability, and you have mind, which is your raw intellect. These things occasionally come up in, in subnet. That's really up to your admin to determine how often they do come in. You, you can play this game, quote-unquote, in the real world, mm-hmm. but it sucks. It yeah. sucks. You, you, your life is on the line there. And, uh, yeah, get it, like basically, uh, we, haven't, we haven't really detailed exactly how, how this works, but if you ever like physically get shot with an actual gun in the game, you are 90% going to die. Like, yep. That's the end of your character. If you are shot with a gun, you're dead. Because yeah. guess what happens if, if, if I shoot Ryan with the gun? He's probably going to die. Well, I mean, that, 
all things being considered, if someone's up for shooting you with a gun in this game, that's true. It it's probably to finish you off. So oh, yeah. while that may not be the right statistics for the real world, yeah. you don't always have people trying to kill you. In that's the real true. World. That's absolutely. Also, people but, are unfamiliar with physical violence, so any sort of people aren't trained to be tough anymore. That's not what they're supposed to do. Oh, no, the hamsters on the wheel. Cardio. It's yeah. important. Cardio. It's very important. And then, as I said, this is where the real magic happens. There's the other side of the traits, which is called the digital traits. And those are subdivided into five. There's bash, hash, scam, twitch, and... Forge. Forge. Thank you very much. Um, and each of these handle sort of... And these aren't so much like like your strength or your dexterity or your stamina in like D&D terms. These are more narrative descriptors, like Bash. Bash is introducing chaos into the code. That's all it is. So any sort of description, any sort of thing that a character wants to do that requires them to just inject chaos into the... Or destroy. Or destroy. Or a destructive element. Yeah. Bash is what you want to do. Oh, do you want to make something? Do you want to make like a digital artifact? Or do you want to like make an anvil over some dude's head and let it drop on him doing damage? That's called Forge. You're making something, bringing new order to the digital so system. So at a, at a baseline, what we're getting at it, I mean, I think they can kind of get the idea from every from the other names. This is very much like, tell me what you do, and I'm going to tell you what you roll. Like, yes. or tell me yeah. what's it. So a smart player, of course, needs to figure out a way of, like, if you're a guy who's got a shtick, it might be best to keep your narration of what you're up to within that shtick. Because yep. yeah. you don't want to be Mr. Forge, dude, and then say you run over and punch a guy in the face. Like, well, you can do that, but it's not the most optimal way to go about using your abilities to get to solve a problem. And something to sort of sort of solidify there, um, any one of these traits can be used in combat. Yes. Uh, just because Bash is the you know most obvious trait for combat, because it's about kicking ass and, and dealing damage, any one of these traits can be used in combat. And as Ryan mentioned, the trick is keeping the combat within your own personal arena. And that's sort of a narrative function. That's your ability to, to role-play on your feet, to sort of think quickly and, and keep a handle on the situation so that you aren't left out in the cold. Or, or, if, or if you are, you know, not in the... Uh, in, if it's not your area of expertise supporting your buddy, who is King, King Hash or King Twitch. Yeah, and that's also, to another step of this, is you as a character, as a player dealing with your character, you're going to deal with your character sheet. The admin also has to deal with this too. He's the one adjudicating everything for you. He's going to be the, he's going to have to train himself with the party to go, okay, that's what, this is the trade I think this is, would be most appropriate for. So um, what are the, um, so I'm judging from the die pool and the fact that you mentioned that you might have to match X, like three numbers on a, like a sort of a normal-ish challenge. I'm assuming that these numbers are at their current phase still below five as yes. like like what they can be brought up to. So we're we looking at like so around there. It was zero to four is how we currently stat everything out. Everything could be from one to four because everyone generally starts with one in every sort of trait mm-hmm. that they have because they're a functional human being. So at that point, like no and and knowing that it is the admin's, you know, call to decide like how difficult a thing is within reason to you know so, like, double-digit numbers on a challenge might be something that's like, well, whole team's on board, or, you know... That's a, that's a very, yeah, that's a very an extended, heavy challenge. Mm-hmm. It's an extended yeah. thing that you have to deal yeah. with. Challenges. And, and the, ad, the admin can also uh, determine, say, like, well, Forge doesn't work for this one. 
or only hash works for this one. And that's that's a way of modulating challenge and and interactivity. Yeah, because system. you've got to be able to challenge your party. You can't always have the bash guy bashing everything all the time. Uh, that's going to get boring for him because he's not being creative. I think that's a core philosophy of subnet as a game between in headcanon is to go we want to challenge our players we want them to think creatively we want them to really get involved in their character so that they can make very creative choices okay so we've talked about the base mechanic now so i think everyone has a pretty good handle on how how the dice are rolled and how you go about this are there skills in the system are they are they beyond like just uh just beyond your base traits like what how do you mo- are there modifications to your dice pool? Yes, there are. So. Um, one of the big things we have skills, and the cool thing about our skills is they're not predetermined, they're not predefined. We literally have something called the hashtag system, where if something needs a hashtag, you basically give it a little descriptor, like flaming sword would be a hashtag, and you literally can describe something. Uh, skills is the same way. You can have a skill called knife to meet you. And that sort of gives the flavor for the character and what they go about doing, but it also lets them work within their wheelhouse that they want to work in so that they can get the most out of their out of that skill and out of anything they're rolling. And skills in general give you just a plus one die to any roll. Yeah. So ni- like knife to meet you would be, you're good with knives. Like that is your thing. You're a knife combat guy. So all of your digital artifacts are going to be knives. And the way you go about combat, you know, uh, p- killing people or destroying enemies is you're going to be stabbing things with your knives because it's knife to meet you. It's knife to meet you. But also that's a little creative in that you can you could if the player if the player is creative in his description he could be like I'm going to get behind that guy and I may not have a knife but I'm sneaking attacking him and I'm going to try to use knife to meet you because the descriptor the hashtag almost gives an underlying sort of subtext of being a little shady, being a little underhanded, and having a little sort of rogue nature to you. So it's, it's the admin's job to adjudicate that and not 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 come down too hard on either end of the spectrum on that. Uh, not basically saying, you know, you can't use your your skill for everything, Tom. You just can't use your skill for everything. But at the same time, not like shooting down every use of the shill. But still. I had the hashtag I'm awesome and I'm 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 awesome right now, so yeah, I'm well, awesome. I'm gonna erase that off your character sheet because uh, that was it, dumb it, and it I was high. And it, it, what it really comes down to is these skills need to be punchy, obviously. They kinda need to be punchy and fun to say. And two, the the admin has to have some pretty decent control over when they pop off because obviously as as with any system that has player-narrated talents or skills or anything like that, there's the possibility of picking something that's, uh, you know, really, really broad, and therefore, like, like hashtag magna cum laude. Oh, I guess anytime I make a thinky thing at ever, forever, I'm good at it. Like, well, maybe not. Like, maybe strictly academics might come in here. Uh, we do plan on um, releasing, uh, as part of the book, uh, the chapter on skills will have a bunch of different examples um, that can be either just pulled from directly. If a player is like, I can't think of anything, they can <laughs> pull from that because man, has that happened to everybody That's in this room? Intensely oh. necessary. Oh man, I just I foresee a meeting when we when we write that chapter of just like, all right, everybody, we're gonna be funny for about three hours just writing down everything we say. So uh... <laughs> you might need to drink. Yeah. Let me record that. That might be a good one. I, I could uh, do yeah, it. Down with bonus, that. Episode. bonus episode. Bonus episode. The, the skill bullshit session. Mm-hmm. 
And so that's where skills are, and they're very low-key. They're kind of punching. They help you out, but they're not the end-all, be-all. Are they a single, like, you just have a skill, that's it? Like, no, no, you can have multiple. You no, can I have... mean, what I mean, do they level up? Do they get better? Yes, there is a way, but they don't – it's not linear. Um, skills have, currently under the rules, have two uses. They have a passive, which is, hey, you use the skill. Cool. That's a plus one die to your roll. And then there's an active, which you can only use once per cycle, which we – basically defined as a game session one cycle you can go yeah instead of also rolling an additional die i can assign an additional die as if my trait was one higher um and xp wise you can spend xp into a skill currently to increase the number of active uses so basically multiple times per session i can start assigning more die if i'm willing to use up that per cycle ability ah you got to the point that i wanted to uh progression mm. Are, are we are we still in the um, uh, in the land of things get more expensive as you get better at them, or have you guys put it by the wayside for things cost a static amount and uh, just you know give a proper amount of experience? I think under the current rules, they are just static. You just spend like ten or twenty XP on the thing you want. And You're my you hero. <laughs> You're, I hate I I abhor scaling exponential cost of experience points. It's just it, it representative of a system that just doesn't know how to dole out XP properly is really what it comes down to. Just make things make the right, make them cost the right amount <laughs> to get your powers. Uh, now, speaking of, of powers, actually, um, that's actually probably the one area of the system that is not as fleshed out as, as it could be. And there's actually a, a very solid, very good reason for that because um, the three of us very much came to the conclusion that, you know, cool powers, while necessary and are going to be in the system, because hey, you're quantum hackers and you're going to pull off digital miracles, you need those digital miracles. Um, we very much are of the philosophy that um, when you start adding on things that, you know, go outside the scope of the normal rules, you need to have those normal rules, the core system, the, the core, uh, you know, challenge um, resolution system, it needs to be rock damn solid. Yes, like it does. You, can't, you be... can't fudge with something until you, yeah, like, exactly. it should be fudged with. Yeah, you know, you, you, we need, we, we are in the process of playtesting that. We are in the process of reviewing it, of, of implementing it, so that we are certain that the core system works as intended and there isn't some stalking horse bad problem in there that's going to bite us in the ass. Uh, before we really invest the time in designing the powers and how the powers work. Because if there is that big problem and you start designing the powers and then you discover that big problem, now you have to rewrite everything. I hate doing that. <laughs> I bet you do, Matt. Mm -hmm. I did notice uh, from edition, like, a, I mean, this is three editions hence mm -hmm. that I'm looking at, that uh, scripts, which were the original form of digital powers, and loot have sort of been put together because in the system as as they started they were essentially the same thing but with a different set like things yeah. different flavor do. and set a little bit of different mechanics. I mean, and that, that's that's the thing and currently they're 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 kind of merged but that's in my opinion that's still up in the air because we 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 need to get that core system rock solid before we really start having because we we have we have penciled in the let's let's talk about scripts let's talk about powers once we get to that point, and I'm sure it's going to be a very big meeting that we're going to come up with all that crap. And there will be yelling and crying. <laughs> and, and cookies. And cookies and cat fur. And then we'll all hug. Um, 
Uh, this is not to say that we haven't done any development on this. Oh, no. We actually have maybe two different systems that were built over the course of the last three and a half years. But um, they were becoming a little big and monstrous and unwieldy, and there's this other game that a lot of us really like, but there's four, <coughs> Exalted. Um, 400 charms in it that people are already rewriting, so... Maybe, like, keep, maybe keep it punchy. Yeah, yeah um, and that's really what I, I know from my philosophy. That's what I want to do. I love loot, I love scripts, I love it all, but I want this system to be fast and fun and creative and, and, and innovative. One of the interesting things, because we have playtested this a number of times with live other non-headcanon people, and something that keeps coming up that I'm absolutely adoring right now is combat in like actual one-on-one subnetter to subnetter combat. It's fast, it's brutal, it's fun, but it's it's a dangerous gambit that you got to see if you want to get involved in or not. So in your philosophy, it so so I take your time. <laughs> challenges that's PVE right there. Mm-hmm. In a lot in most in most cases, if you were fighting against a subnetter though, that is probably not going to be a challenge. That's going to be a, a, a... yeah. It's called an exchange. An exchange and exchanges are interesting because. Unlike most games, and I'm not going to go into a whole bunch of detail here because I, I don't. We're running long on time, and this will take a lot longer. Uh, basically, in exchanges, something that's interesting is when you're fighting another person in an exchange, attack and defense all happen at the same time. Uh, there's not an attack roll and then a defense roll, and then you attack me and I get a defense roll. It's all wrapped up. So if you fail, if you're the aggressor, and you let's say I am going to go fight Scott as a subnetter. And he's going to defend himself. If I fail my attack, he hurts me. Mm-hmm. He didn't have to take any action to actually hurt me. He didn't say, well, I'm going to go over there and I'm going to hurt Matt. No, he's going to go, no, because I fucked up and I fought with him, he hurts me. And so this makes the combat very fast and deadly. The The sort of narrative explanation uh, of this is instead of rolling every single attack, so if Scott wants to you know, punch Matt. In almost every system that, that we have played over the last few years, not not all, but in a lot of them, that individual action would have to be independently resolved. Maybe even with other roles or other resource expenditure for things like transiting the space between them or dealing with environmental variables, all sorts of things. Whereas in subnet, an exchange is the abstracted version of that. It's literally... Two, like, kung fu masters getting into a prolonged fight scene. Not, like, hours, but, like, you know, a good two or three minutes. It's when Jackie Chan and, like, the three dozen mooks that he's fighting in a warehouse or a, a, a model home that's being built. You notice there's sort of a, a flow and a rhythm to the combat. Well, they'll have a bunch of little ineffective little, like, exchanges, like pop, 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 whatever, block, dodge. You know, uh, Jackie Chan drops below, but then he gets one really good hit in. And it kind of changes the momentum of the battle. And that's sort of the abstract space that we're working with. Right. Exchanges are, yeah, you're actually, it's not just one hit, one, like one defense, one hit. It's really like when, this goes for challenges as well. If when I'm fighting the 100 orcs, well, I'm actually fighting the 100 orcs for a good solid 30 seconds and I'm defeating all of them, but that was just one roll. That's the way of just yeah. removing the situation. We, we took care of that out about, in about 30 seconds. Yeah. Right. And so that's the whole point of the subnet is it needs to be fast and light, and but it's very narrative-heavy, hence the descriptions are very important. So in the case of the 100 orgs, that is a challenge. Can that challenge hurt you? 
Yes. Um, there can be side effects for failing a challenge, and there can be side effects for succeeding in a challenge. It all really depends on what the admin wants to do and how difficult. So, no, there's it, mechanisms in place to say, though, that it's like, this is one of those times where if you screw up, you get hurt for it. Like, exactly. And there, there's notation and stuff yeah. like that for that. Now, and exchanges are really there for fighting the big big raid boss, the big final guy. They're not there to fight every mook. Now, you can run it like that, and there's actually a part of the section we're going to write in our admin called high-res and low-res, mm -hmm. uh, sort of how you run the game. And high-res... You wanna you wanna get every detail right, mm -hmm. so it's gonna get slow. You're gonna do a lot more exchanges. Challenges are gonna be harder. Um, but you you wanna save those for the narratively important fights, right? Like, where, lo where low res is the opposite of that. It's 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 a lot of big overarching actions. Exchanges are extremely rare, but very cinematic. It's it's Luke Han and Leia versus a hundred stormtroopers. Yes. Right. So in an exchange, um, I'm assuming that this is well, let's just say this is two subnetters going at one another. Mm -hmm. Um, so one of each of them would bid a digital trait and do a, a, a description of it. How is that resolved to where someone actually gets hurt? Well, this is where I want to like I didn't want to go like into huge detail because it is a lot of explanation. Right. And having dice in the book in front of you is like is going to be important. But essentially, it runs off the same thing. The defender wants to make their own sort of what we call a pass key, and the aggressor has to overcome that. And if they don't overcome that, the difference hurts the aggressor. If they do overcome the pass key, the uh, defender gets hurt. That's well, the very short of it. We can give a real quick example. Sure. Let's say that I have a subnetter and Scott has a subnetter. And my subnetter is heavily focused on the trait Twitch, which is about the movement of data, transiting through data or moving data around. Um, you can kind of think of it as like mobility or agility or speed, but that's describing a physical action to something that really only works inside of a computer. So that, that analogy isn't perfect, but it's about the, the transition, the transit of data or moving through data. And if you're thinking about this in, in terms of hacking, exploiting lag time. Right. Whereas, Scott, what trade are you going to bid? Uh, I'm a hasher, because we haven't really talked about hash. Oh, okay. What's ha hash? Hash is the, the sort of the analyzation of data. The, 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 it's, it's the more mentally focused aspect of it. It's sort of the intuition of what, uh, what's coming at you and your ability to manipulate and react to it. It's seeing the code in the matrix. Yeah. Kind of. It's it's all that and more. Yeah, it's, it's, it's dissection and analysis and comprehension but split second genius mm -hmm. exactly like so i'll say that my twitch attack takes the form of a flurry of of of, of, of blows like i'm just like punching like jojo's bizarre adventure i'm just like throwing a hundred punches just to the north star just, brrr, yeah. and just they're oh, they're going to overwhelm his his connection his defenses and he's just going to get laid out Whereas I, using hash, see all of this coming in, uh, and uh, I throw up, uh, I throw up redirects, I throw up, um, you know, uh, code corruptions uh, that uh, fragment his his digital attack coming into me and send spikes of data going back towards him. So I roll. I have fistful of dice. He rolls his. I am the aggressor. So the roll that I generate makes the pass key that Scott has to overcome. Well, 
reverse that. Reverse that. Oh, I'm yeah. sorry. Scott is the defender. He makes the so pass key. You have to overcome that pass defender, key. Defense usually means you're the pass key generator. I, yeah. I do apologize. No, no. The, this this revision is new. I'm still operating on a couple of, of cycles ago. Also dyslexia. Also dyslexia. Um, it's, it's, it's ripe in the room. <laughs> oh, boy, is it. Um, so Scott generates his pass key as the defender, and I have to overcome that pass key. Okay. So let's say that I fail at doing that. The, the luck is just not with me. I don't do it. So I succumb to his... Counterattack. Counterattack, essentially, yeah. And I'm just... My, my avatar is kind of shredded and roughed up a little bit, and I take damage. Um, are we still calling it bit rot? Yes, yes, we are. It's, it's called bit rot. Damage is basically abstracted as your your connection to the system, your 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 the integrity of your connection, how bad lag lag is fucking you up, basically. So, yeah. how much bit rot do you lay down if you break his pass key? It depends on what you roll. That's modular. It based on how many successes, basically how many dice you don't uh, match. Essentially, that's how. Plus. Equipment and like loot and stuff can mod modify how much damage you do in any given instance, mm -hmm. and it's all dependent on how many hashtags you're able to incorporate into the description. If everyone noticed when Nigel was describing his million punches at Scott, he didn't really describe any sort of equipment or anything he had on him, so he couldn't really utilize any sort of like uh, loot that he may have had on him f to help him defeat Scott. Yes, yeah, so in that in that exchange, we were both naked. Pretty much, yeah. So. Imagine that for a second. Wait, uh, please don't. I think no. I look good naked. Oh, okay, fine. I have body issues, but whatever. Uh, who doesn't? Come <laughs> on. Um, so we have bit rot. How does one apply bit rot? Um, it is well, narratively, it is it is latency, but it's all like the gear that's been stuffed into your head uh, that lets you you know connect to essentially all of the internet instead of just the channels that the hypercorp lets you. Um, uh, it's plugged into your brain, and you know when that connection is is disrupted uh, through through some sort of aggression uh, in the form of an attack coming at you. There are some some real world physical ramifications for that. Your, your neurons get messed up. You yep. get, get a little scrambled. And so how bit bit rot is applied? It's applied underneath all of your traits. And the funny thing about this is where your HP system comes in, sort of, in that. As you take bit rot, certain of your traits will start artificially, temporarily go down, so the ratings go lower. So, but you as a defender get to choose where that damage goes. So if you start throwing it in traits that you're not really good at, that's fine. You can do that. You can still op operate a high end uh, optimal efficiency. But if you start taking damage on the thing you're really good at, guess what? You're temporarily not going to be really good so, at that thing. So the strategy that is most likely to occur for a PC, because we all know how PCs think, yes. they will likely focus into one thing that they're super weirdo good at, and the rest of those things will be sometimes foods that they use to soak damage with. Yeah, they and can that, do that, but here's the thing. That doesn't mean that you can't have a PC who's really good, like broadly decent at everything. He could be really effective because guess what? He's not a one-trick pony. He's going to start being able to handle situations that maybe the one-trick ponies can't handle. Yeah, we, right. we, we very much want to avoid uh, the one-true-build uh, phenomenon. Mm -hmm. uh, we want diversity in characters. We want people to go where their fun is and still be effective and, and playable. Um, so, yeah, that, and this, that, the bit rot system is part of that. Um, okay. Well, I think, uh, I, think, I think we have a really, really good picture 
of subnet now and i think we I mean, like the philosophy you guys uh, yeah, we do. Um, but just one thing I wanted to, to add on before we, we, we wrap this up, because I think I see where you're going with this, uh, is that uh, where this is all heading from a, from a sort of a real-world perspective is that we will be eventually putting a Kickstarter together. Uh, and once again, if you're in the future, uh, thank you for buying our Kickstarter, because you did, right? You did. Of course you did. You did. Anyway, you did. but anyway, but it, in, in the future of, uh, you know, 2016... Uh, we, we are moving towards a Kickstarter uh, that we hope to fund this project that will uh, create a, primarily a print-on-demand or digital. That's all up in the air. Yep. Uh, but we, we want to put this out. We want to make it available for sale, uh, and Kickstarter uh, is a wonderful platform. It's really good for indie RPGs, and that's kind of where we're headed with this. And, and from, from a perspective of someone who's actually done only a few playtests with you guys, this is one of those games where, like, everyone who has any nerd culture within them whatsoever will immediately understand what the hell is going on. And in, and likely, this is one of those games where the table can run itself a little bit, so just the admin's just kind of along for the ride. And it was and it's a lot of fun, Like, I, and I appreciate that kind of thing, because, I don't know, personally, like, I played a character who was, like, the most lead Haxor raid kid that was ever a raid kid who wanted fat purples, and... <laughs> Like, me and two other characters had about the same mentality, and that really drove what was happening at the table forward. Yeah, I mean, that's what Subnet is. It's it's there for the current geek culture, nerd culture, to sort of embrace based on ideas that you already have. We just expanded on them. That's all. We just projected the future of 2016 in a fantasy sort of way. Uh, yeah, like, there, there's a lot of themes sort of written into the into the... Um, game that we've only really touched on. There is this sort of we built this game to try and be, to try and harness kind of the zeitgeist. What we saw as how things were kind of heading. Like, we're not so arrogant to say that this is how the world is going to end up in, you know, a hundred years. Nothing like that. Kind of badass, but no. Yeah. Um, but another thing, like, we, we've mentioned this a little bit, there is aging as, like, a, a core mechanic of character progression, and I know we need to wrap this up. I'm just gonna try and be very brief. No, about final, it. like I was gonna ask for, like, what are your final thoughts? Like, so Nigel, like, what are your final thoughts here? All right, like this is something that we all decided to put in. Um, we all love RPGs, but Scott, you said it very early in, in, in like, you know, in a lot of games, you're a 20 year old superhero forever, mm -hmm. and uh, there is really no downside to aging like conan never breaks a hip you know mm. uh raceland the, the 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 archmage well he he had a couple of issues but then he found kind of ways around them through uh, uh, but you know in raceland's defense he kind of sucked from an early age anyway sure <laughs> but that was a character flaw that he started out with and, he didn't and, get it by getting older yeah, he right. didn't get crappier by getting older he got way more powerful by getting older right um and in a lot of games there is no downward curve. There is no aging. There is nothing that represents, like, maybe you peak and then go down. Elminster never rolled an ankle, is really what I'm trying to <laughs> exactly. say. Yeah, very much exactly. So. Exactly. And we're all in our mid-30s. Uh, we all um, LARP, uh, so there's a, a great deal of physical activity in our lives. But uh, we can definitely feel, as compared to what life was like a decade ago, kind of when we all started hanging out, we feel uh, the, the slow tug of time. We're not dying. We're not, you know, trying to write fucking Walden Pond before we, you know, <laughs> just, just 
Hemingway ourselves. Nothing like that. And I'm pretty sure I just mixed up like eight different people. It, no, it's I'm fine. I'm certainly not drinking enough for all of that. Um, but we feel that this is a kind of an interesting way of putting something that we notice a lack of and that we feel keenly in our own lives in a game as a as an interesting way to represent that what do you do as a hero who has a limited amount of time there have been games that do that um but it's not exactly a, a mainstream mechanic so it's very important to you i'm sure to make sure that that aging when it happens to you while it much like in real life it's not a bad thing you just have to do things a little differently exactly. to get shit yes done. very much so and and a sort of I, if I were to put my final thought to sort of dovetail what Nigel said, particularly when it comes to technology, mm-hmm. uh, when it comes to technology and the culture of the internet, because like Nigel said, uh, the three of us are all in our mid thirties. We all grew up at we we came we came of age as the internet came of age. Right. You know, we I know I for one, you know I I I was a person and thinking about things when there was no internet, mm-hmm. and then I got dial up. And then, you know, the Your world changed and then my world changed. And then the technology started to increase at a very fast pace. And being a young person at that time, I was very able to keep up with it and be able to understand it and wrap my head around it. Um, and being 36, I am seeing now a point where technology and the Internet and social media and the, the devices and the things that the youngins are dealing with it's just now starting to be a little hard for me to wrap my head around it. And they're young, and they can wrap their head around it really, really well. Guys, I don't know what the hell Tumblr is. <laughs> I don't I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Snapchat actually boggles yeah, my mind. I, I fought with Snapchat trying to figure it out, like, for ten minutes a day. But anyway. God, we're old. Yeah, we are. But that that is very much, like, deep in the DNA of Subnet, is the idea that you know, technology is kind of, it has its own momentum, it has its own lifespan, and it's a young man's game, it's a young person's game, Um, and, you know, if you recall the stuff about the setting and the the mechanics, we very much represent that, the the idea that, you know, you have your time in the sun, and then you start to slip, and you have to sort of rely on slash help bring up the younger generation because really they're the ones that are going to be the most vital and involved in the next step. You're not going to be around forever. If there is any mechanics that have to be changed, I'm willing to throw away all of them out except for one, which is there has to be a way to represent a person getting older in the system. Mm-hmm. I don't care what subnet looks like when in the future when we release this game. I do not care. The one thing I do care about is that it represents aging. Because I'm a firm believer, if you've listened to this podcast from the beginning, that role-playing is about having experiences you normally cannot have. And I love for someone sitting down and playing Subnet and really grippling and sitting there and thinking, going, my character has to retire. I have to help this younger people come up, and I'm not going to be here forever. Could you imagine some 20-year-old grognard kid dealing with the fact that his dice pool's about to go down. Right. Like that, well, he'll he'll have a conniption fit. That, that's, that's, that's stressful. That's another thing, is that this game is intended to be what I refer to as generational. Uh, you don't just play one character in Subnet. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you play a character until its end, and then you, you make a new character that's, you know, hot shit young guy. 
Um, and you know, the table can have mixed levels of these people at various ages of their characters. And the mechanics will support the fact that even the behind the guys who are behind the curve. They still got their time where oh, yeah, absolutely. You, you call in big guns. Exactly. But it is designed so that in in a long-running campaign, which, you know, not all every campaign is long-running, but there are plenty of campaigns that go on for, you know, months and years, uh, you can expect to play two or three characters uh, and sort of build build a collective story rather than a purely individual story mm-hmm. uh, that is the not just this group of characters and their story, but these characters who have had this this span of a character more of a saga uh final thoughts matt to, to try and wrap up this, this right, yeah, uh, final to... thoughts sorry i've been sort of injecting I, I thought, my final thoughts honestly i thought matt's final thoughts were aging stays goddamn it that's, that's really that's, matt's that's, final is that what you want to yeah do? that's my final thought and i really just hope that if you're listening to this in the future you really enjoy subnet and i hope i hope everyone can listening to this in the future on the um like carbon dimonium uh like record that we put on a space probe <laughs> to alpha centauri like uh something that's going big yeah, well, oh yeah might as, might as well shoot for the moon well guys that none of us will understand or be able to interact I, with this because we're too damn old i'll be a brain, no i'll be a brandon jar oh yeah this has been a fantastic uh little sit down session i really really appreciate you guys uh you know just sitting down and really talking like getting down and dirty with like the philosophy behind the game that you guys I've been working so hard with. I've been with you guys since the beginning of this, so I'm like, a lot of this is not new information to me, but I think that a lot of people need to hear this stuff, and it's just been a pleasure to sit down and hear you guys, you know, really get passionate about this thing that you care about so much. So, uh, thank you. Um, You're very welcome. I'm I'm having this moment here. (laughs) This is cool. I mean, we've worked three and a half years, like in apartments and living rooms and you know on chat rooms and we have thought and compromised and hemmed and hawed and we've built things up have them torn down you know it has been so much effort and we aren't even halfway through the tunnel yet but by golly it's nice to hear someone say that yeah uh, you're very welcome thank you and if you guys like what you heard today, uh, we have this beautiful thing called Patreon. <laughs> because you can't go through this this listening to this show without us asking you for money. I, <laughs> I, we need it. <laughs> God, we need it. Uh, www.patreon.com slash polyhedron. Um, if you're getting this through any sort of streaming service or any sort of or iTunes or anything, please give us a decent rating. If you enjoy us, please write a review. You know, we always appreciate feedback. Like, even if it's just like, hey, the levels are too low, please turn them up because my, I'm trying to pump my, my stereo system and like a phone going off, like, will actually shatter my windows. Like, that. Um, if you have any uh, email thoughts or suggestions, uh, polyhedronpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, we, we re- we'll read them. I promise. We might even read them on the air if they're nice enough, and we'll answer your questions directly by name, and we'll thank you very much for actually paying attention. And finally, like, uh, three out of the four people here are on Twitter. Uh, I am on there as Arduous, R-J-U-O-U-S. I'm, uh, I'm at Divis Melkav. I'm at BioImportance. And we have at Headcanon Games, I believe, if someone wants to tweet directly at 
head cannon, or is yes. that something uh, that comes through a different yes. API? And we also have headcanon games um, at gmail.com if you want to contact Nigel, if you want to send him a message directly, uh, he'll will be happy to he'll be happy to receive those. Even if it's just to tell him he's silky. I am five foot eight. I am husky. <laughs> Dark brown auburn hair, beautiful beard with red streaks in it, soulful brown eyes. Sploosh. <laughs> and on that note, I think this uh, brings this podcast episode to a to a crashing conclusion. Go roll some dice, guys. Go where your fun is.